one of my favorite topics I'm going to talk to you about today. One that I had a revelation about a number of years ago, and uh, one that I think uh, will help you in your journey in grace. It'll help you in your journey in grace. So, Father, I just pray today that, Lord, as we look once again into your word, that, God, you would help us to understand the marvelous, wonderful, amazing grace of God. And, Father, I pray today that you would give uh, insight, and, Father, you would help people that, Lord, maybe they've been facing a mountain uh, of addiction or a habit or some kind of a hang-up that's been getting in the way of their path and their destiny, their future in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray that, God, you would uh, give them that revelation today that, God, their freedom begins this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you ever went on a diet before? Let me see your hands. Come on. Okay, now put those down. Put those down. Let me ask you another question. How many have ever unsuccessfully went on a diet? Let me see your hands. Sure you have. About the same number. You notice that? Uh, because it's hard. Dieting is hard work. I mean, it's hard work to, to, to break that addiction or, uh, you know, whatever it is that causes us to put on those extra pounds that we want to get rid of. You know, it's hard to, to lose weight. It's hard to break a habit, hard to break an addiction, hard to see that thing uh, brought to an end in our life, isn't it? It's difficult. And I'm hoping that today, by God's grace, you'll discover that you can live free. You can live free. Everybody say free. Because the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ set you free. So he set you free so you could live in liberty. Not so that you could get wrapped all up and stuff all over again, but that you could live as a free man or a free woman. Amen? And that Christ set us free for freedom's sake, for liberty's sake. And so today I want to help you in that journey of how do we become free. Every one of us has faced uh, an addiction or a habit that we know in the long run, if we don't deal with it, is going to complicate our life, is going to, you know, take things away from our life. Whoa. It's going to take value away from our life. It's going to cause us problems in the long term. So we know we have to get rid of it. We know we've got to set this thing down. Uh, your habit may be a b bad Irish temper. I had one. Had to lay it down. Yep. I had to lay it down. I had to ask Jesus to help me to get over that. Uh, maybe your, your addiction is to gambling. Maybe your addiction is to television. Maybe your addiction is to social media. Yeah. Well, that's not an addiction, Pastor. That's a tool. Uh, if you can't lift your face from your phone to have a conversation with a person, it's an addiction. If you bring your phone to your dinner table, it's an addiction. You hearing me this morning? Oh, man, it gets quiet when you start pushing the little buttons. You know, maybe some of us, one of the biggest ones, as I mentioned already, is, is, is food. You know, whether it's we eat for comfort or we, we uh, you know, eat when we're stressed or we eat just too much or we eat all the wrong stuff. I don't know. But, you know, uh, whenever we eat and we don't eat for nourishment or we don't just eat for pleasure... It's a bad thing. Now, some of you are saying, whoa, 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 pastor. Eating for pleasure. That is a bad thing. No, no it's not. No. Why do you think God gave you taste buds? Why? Well, that's so that we would enjoy the stuff that's good for us. Bologna. The stuff that's good for you doesn't taste good. <laughs> and you all know what I'm talking about. You know? How, 
many know that kale doesn't taste good? It's good for you, but it tastes terrible, you know? And, you know, you can build up an endurance to spinach, but the first time you bit down on a leaf, you didn't go, oh, where have you been all my life, right? No, God gave us taste buds because he wanted food to bring us pleasure. He wanted us to enjoy a good meal. He wanted us to enjoy it. God, how, this might surprise you, but God invented pleasure. It was his idea. And he gave us the taste buds so that we would enjoy it. Not so that we would, we would uh, remember to get nourishment. That's what the hunger pangs are for. No, 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 no. He gave us the taste buds so we would be able to enjoy the experience of eating. I know that might be crazy to you, but it isn't. Think about it. The problem isn't that eating's pleasurable any more than the problem is that sex is pleasurable. The problem is when you get either one of those things or anything else else out of balance or out of God's place and plan for it so that it begins to be the thing that you or that runs away with your life that takes control of your life and you no longer have the ability to live without its bondage. God gave you to be able to enjoy it but to be able to enjoy it in liberty. Does everybody understand what I'm saying today? Amen? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think you probably have heard from this podium before. Chapter 6, verse 12. First Corinthians 6, 12. I think I'm in the NIV here. I can't remember which one I copied this from. But... Paul says this. He said, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Let me read that again. Everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul, of course, here was not speaking about sin. He's not saying that sin is permissible for me, but not necessarily beneficial. No, sin is not permissible. That's why it's called sin. So Paul's not saying you can engage in sinful things here and it's permissible to you, but it just may not be beneficial. No, no, no. He's talking about things that are not sin and anything that's not sin, Paul said, was permissible to me, but not all of it was beneficial to me. Does everybody understand what he's saying? Okay. Paul's saying... And then I should say, and then he adds, for good measure, everything is permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. I'll be mastered by nothing. In other words, when does something, Paul helps us, he goes, when does something move from being permissible to being not permissible? When it has mastery over me. It moves from being permissible to not beneficial when it has mastery over my life. And that's why Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. I will not allow anything in my life to take control, to direct my life but the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, you know, food, drink, you know, sex, work, sports, TV, music, humor, any other thing that God's given us to enjoy can enslave us if we get it out of the place that God had for us in our life. And it gets mastery over us. Do you hear me this morning? Now I want you to flip over to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and chapter 6 again. So we're going to flip over to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, 
should be right next door in your Bible. Unless they did something weird and rearranged the order. Uh, in your Bible, in my Bible, it comes right after 1 Corinthians. So you just turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Now, that's not likely a verse that many of you have memorized. Do you guys know what's doing that? Is it my connection on my mic? But it doesn't seem to do it when I'm... Uh... Do you want me to use the handheld? We have a problem, Houston. See, it doesn't seem to be doing it on this end. Is it up here? Yeah, it's right there. All right, yeah, do you want to bring me the handheld, Barry? don't like this. I like to be footloose and fancy free, but today I'll hold the microphone and act like a stand-up comedian. All right, there we go. <clears throat> but don't have any expectations that I'll be particularly funny, all right? Okay, so anyway, uh, where was I? All right, so like I said, this is a verse you've probably heard before, but not very likely that you've memorized. But, you know, it is one of those verses that is difficult to comprehend because we misunderstand the meaning of of one of its key words. You know, uh, if you read on a little further in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness uh, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And it's that word holiness that defines what he's saying in verse 17 as well. And the word holiness, I think, often gets misunderstood by the church of Jesus Christ. Now, when I was a youth pastor years and years ago, uh, the most happening youth ministry in North America was Glenn Berteau uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he had a youth group called Crossfire, and there was like, uh, I don't know, uh, 1,200 pe young people, I think, that came each week to Crossfire in the States. And, and they sang a song. It was kind of a rockabilly song. And, and it was basically this passage uh, from chapter 7, verse 1, and, he's, and it just said, Let us cleanse ourselves of what defiles the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves from sin. And then it went, bah, 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 and that started up again, you know. Uh, and uh, it was uh, basically repeated that passage. And that song kind of didn't sit well with me. And, and I think it, it, it probably was an anthem that, that was misinterpreted by half the kids that heard it as well. Because there's, it's difficult because we say to ourselves, how do I cleanse myself of what defiles the flesh and the spirit? And the problem with the scripture is our misunderstanding of the word holiness, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says, let us cleanse ourselves from sin. I thought to be holy meant to be perfect. That holiness meant perfect, sinless, free from any blemish. That, that I thought that was the meaning of holiness. Now, that certainly has evolved into one of the meanings of holiness. But if you were to look at the, the original language, and if you were to study what it really means, the tabernacle of Moses was holy unto the Lord. The contents of it were holy. And if you read these passages in the Old Testament, you come to understand that holiness can't mean pure or free from any kind of blemish because, you know, the reality is, is that, I, there, you know, it wasn't like manna was completely pure or anything. No, it meant pure because it was set apart specifically for the Lord. That the word holiness in its first meaning means to be set apart. 
It means to be made special, to be given over to the Lord. That's what the word actually means. So when we understand that's the real meaning of the word, then when we hear the phrase perfecting holiness, it means to be working at perfecting the process of uh, coming into a place where I've set myself aside for the Lord's work, where I have uh, uh, taken my life and I have made it special for the Lord's use. In other words, it's about submission. And last week, you remember how we talked about that at the foundation of submission is this one key thing that we have to embrace. It's called humility, right? If we want more grace, what do we need? A greater level of humility to be able to come to God and just say, Lord, I need you. So how do we perfect holiness in the fear of God? By coming before him daily and just saying, God, I confess to my need of more of you. That's what we're really talking about here. How do we cleanse ourselves? Then by coming out from among them and being separate. In other words, separating ourselves unto the Lord. It doesn't mean to live in a commune. It doesn't mean to isolate yourself from society. It means to separate yourself unto the Lord and say, God, here I am. I'm yours for your special purpose. I humbly lay myself at your feet. I give my all to you. Amen? Is everybody hearing me this morning? So, then what does that have to do with getting free? Well, it helps if we understand now that it means about humbly admitting our need for God, about separating our, our, our heart aside for him, then this changes everything for us. One of the things I got a revelation of uh, a number of years ago is that freedom is about more than simply eliminating your options. Do you know what I'm saying? A lot of times we get confused by that. We think that freedom is just, you know, removing myself from the temptation, right? And so what ends up happening is that we say, well, if I would just set set myself in a place where I'm not facing that thing anymore, then I'll be free. But no, it's not about that. It's not about just cutting yourself off from a sinful behavior. It's about separating yourself unto the Lord. Let me explain. Let me explain. I'll illustrate this this morning for you on how you can achieve that uh, place of walking in freedom before Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to go 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, there wasn't that many Christian men that came to me and they said, I'm addicted to you know what's on the line, online. Got little kids here today, so I'll use coded language, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And I didn't have too many men came to me and said that this is a real struggle in my life because 20 years ago, in order for a person to, you know, serve their, service their habit, they had to go to the store, they had to, you know, pick it from behind the, the paper plexiglass or whatever in the store. They actually had to go purchase it and find some place to hide it in the house. It was difficult. It was, it was difficult to walk in that level of, of uh, perversion or slavery. But today, thanks to those little mobile devices that are in your hands, you can you know, purvey whatever you want, anytime you want, 24-7. Everybody know what I'm saying? Now, you might say, well, that's just because men are way more perverted and sinful today than they were 20 years ago. Hogwash. Nonsense. Men are men are men. 
and have been men, like men, since the fall in the garden, have been men. Do you hear me? And it isn't that men are any less righteous today. It's just that 20 years ago, there were less options. And so you begin to understand what I'm talking about, that righteousness isn't just a lack of options. But righteousness is your ability to handle options and how to walk that out humbly before the Lord. That's what real righteousness is. Let me give you an example from my own life. Um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I used to be horribly addicted to the news. I mean, hardcore addicted. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I don't remember my dad being particularly you know, a, a news hog, but man, I was addicted. I'd get up in the morning and while I was having my breakfast, the TV was on and I was watching the news in the morning. And if I came home for lunch, we lived right beside the church and our first pastor, if I came home for lunch, what did I turn on? The news. At dinner time, I couldn't wait to finish eating because we had a no TV policy during dinner. So as soon as dinner was over, I went and I sat down and I watched the news and then I watched it again before I went to bed. And I watched news uh, at least four times a day. And, and I began to realize that it was creating this negative disposition in my life, right? Because it isn't a new thing that the news is negative. It's not a new thing. Uh, negative news, bad news is sold for a long time. So this is not a new phenomenon. This has been something that's been going on for a long time. So it was making my disposition negative because I was listening to this stuff all the time. And so I decided, I know how to get mastery over this. I'm going to take our TV. I'm going to wrap the cord around it and stuff it in the basement and leave it down there. And this was not a basement that had a couch and a chair set up. No, no, this was a storage basement. So I packed the TV up, and it was gone for like a year. And guess what? Man, I spent more time with the Lord. Uh, you know, I got up in the morning, and it was so easy to just go to the Word because I wasn't watching the news. I felt so spiritual. I was just walking on cloud nine. I was a righteous man of God, filled with fire and vim and vigor and Holy Spirit. It was awesome. And then we had our first child. Ryan was born. And Sherry said, you know, would it be okay if we just put the TV back so that I could put, you know, some kind of like Sesame Street on or some kids show on and and while I'm getting his lunch ready or something, he could have the TV there. I was like, sure. Yeah, no problem. I'm thinking I can do that. So I put the TV back in the living room, and guess what happened? Old Kevin got right back into his old pattern so easily. Oh, it was smooth transition. Slid right back into watching the news morning, afternoon, evening, and good night. You see, the problem wasn't the TV. The problem wasn't even the news. The problem was my lack of maturity to handle that option in my life. Remember what Paul said, everything is permissible to me, but not everything's beneficial. It's permissible to watch the news. There's no sin in watching news, no sin in watching TV, period. But if I let it get mastery over me, then it's no longer beneficial. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So I realized that I lacked the maturity to go along with my liberty. I lacked the maturity to accompany my liberty. And it wasn't that the issue was not the thing that I was engaged with because it wasn't a sin. It became a sin because it dominated my life. So again, Paul's not talking about sin issues here. He's talking about things that become sin because they take control of our life. Right? And so 
just as sex isn't a sin, but if you get it out of its context and it starts to run your life, now it's certainly a sin and it's dictating your life. Same thing with food, same thing with television, same thing with just about anything. Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. By anything. Eliminating the television, eliminating my option didn't make me more righteous. And one of the problems with, you know, support groups and things is if they teach you that all you got to do is cut the thing off. Just got to, all you got to do is never go buy booze again. Never go to the liquor store again. That that'll, that'll do it. It won't do it. It won't do it. It's not sufficient just to cut that thing off like that. No, no, no. You have to have a grace encounter that be able to humbly come before God and say, God, I need you to give me the authority and the maturity over this. See, it all comes back to the ability to humbly come and confess my need for God. And when I can confess that, then God can give me the ability to say no. To say no. I mean, we don't have the news on in our house now at all, ever. Not because, but we still have television. I mean, I could turn on Fox or CNN anytime I want but I don't turn them on because I have no interest in them anymore because I'm truly free. It has no mastery over me whatsoever. When Doug Ford was going to make the announcement about the COVID restrictions last year at Christmas, we were keenly anxious to hear what was going to happen because we had planned a lot for our Christmas Eve service and we were just praying that would not be canceled. You remember that? I watched 20 minutes of the news that day. First news I'd watched in over five years to see what was going to happen? And you know what I discovered? We watched it. They made the announcement, and then they repeated the same thing over and over and over and over again. Oh, my word, was it monotonous. It was terrible. 20 minutes, I heard the same thing 15 times in 20 minutes. I didn't even think that was possible. So I turned it off. Haven't had it on since. I'm still keenly aware of things that go on in the world. I spend five minutes in the morning, pop on after a some in some time of the Lord, look at my phone and go, okay, so that's what's going on in the world today. Okay, that's it. Rarely do I sit down and read any of the articles unless they're written by Rex Murphy. I love Rex Murphy's uh, sarcasm and his Newfoundland wit. But uh, other than that, I don't, I don't really read any of it because I want my focus to be on other things. You see, what we all need is a change of heart. And that's something that's mentioned over and over and over again in Scripture. You know, Psalm 51, verse 10, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, a right or steadfast spirit within me. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of, of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. God invites everybody here to a relationship with him, where we walk into him in relationship with him, and by his grace, we have a chance and an opportunity to start fresh, to start new. And that's why when, when the, the tide rises, when life gets more difficult, we need more grace. And we learned last week, how do we get more grace? He gives more grace to the humble. 
the humble admission to God, I need you. You know, when people say, how are you doing? Uh, I, I'm working hard not to just say to them, oh yeah, I'm doing fine. Because there's really not any of us who are just doing fine in the last 15 months. This whole thing is stunk. And, and when you just give that textbook pat answer, you know, unless it's like you see someone in the parking lot, how are you doing? Oh, good, how are you doing? You just keep on walking, fine, do it. That's our way in Canada of saying hi. It's kind of weird, but it's, it's there. But actually be honest with people and just say, you know what? This has not been a particularly easy season, but here's why. And if you have experienced blessings in the midst of it, then share that too, because people need to hear it. Say, you know what? It's been tough, but this has been one of the best seasons in our life because of this, this, and this. So you're not rejoicing in the misery, but you're rejoicing in God's presence in the midst of it. Are you hearing me this morning? Please listen to me. This is so critical to our journey in Christ. So when we get the humility and just walk before God and humbly admit our need for more of him, grace abounds to us. Grace is there to stand up in the midst of the trial and the difficulty. Grace is there to stand to having done everything to stand, to stand because we stand humbly by his grace. As I mentioned earlier, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, but I will be mastered by nothing. We were created according to God's original intent to be free beings. And part of our freedom includes the freedom to make choices. You have been given the freedom to choose. That's what Paul meant when he said everything. Everybody say everything. Everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. He had the freedom to choose anything. He has the freedom to choose where he's going to live. He has the freedom to choose what he's going to eat. He has the freedom to choose what he's going to drink. He has the freedom to choose his relationships, his friendships, everything. He said everything is permissible to me. But then he says, not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, I will not forfeit my freedom to become a slave to anything. Are you hearing me this morning? Did you know that money is not evil? I hear it misquoted all the time. Money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that. Unequivocally, you're missing two parts of that verse. It says the love of money. In other words, allowing money to have mastery, right, is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't mean it's the root of all of sin or all evil, because that, I think, would be pride. The opposite of humility. But money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And there are all kinds of evils that come about when you have a love of money. But if you can you hum humbly admit to God that, that this is a struggle and you give it to the Lord, then guess what? You can have money. Some of the greatest Christians I know have lots of money. Really? Yeah. Yep. You know, Jesus even said it isn't easy, right? But he said, but where things are impossible with man, it's possible with God. So in other words, God wasn't saying you can't, you know, have any money and be a Christian. He was saying, no, actually just the opposite. He's saying where it's impossible with the world, it's possible with God. 
Am I making any sense to anybody here? But money's not the problem. It's whether money has you that's the problem. It's whether, you know, everything is about me, 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 me. I hear all the time these people say, well, I, I wouldn't want to win $70 million because if I did, it'd ruin me. Well, the only reason it would ruin you is because you love money. If you didn't love money, it wouldn't ruin you. Warren Buffett's got billions. Didn't ruin him because he doesn't love it. What do you mean he doesn't love it? How do you think he got billions? He got billions because he was walking in what he was created to do. To invest and make money. And now his billions is all going to charity. He's giving it all away. He still lives in an old house in, what is it, Omaha, Nebraska, isn't it? In Omaha. Lives in a little bungalow in Omaha. Don't think he's bought new furniture for the place in 25 years. He just does thing, gets up, does his normal thing every day. And, and you know what? Because money does not own the man. And just, what was it, two weeks ago? He, he stepped down from the board of uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but he, his parting gift was another $4.5 billion to the foundation as he was leaving. Um, you know, money doesn't have to run your life. It doesn't have to run your life. In fact, one of the greatest skills you can get before the Lord is for you to have mastery over money instead of it to have it over you. And you don't have to have a lot of money for money to be a problem. I've met a lot of people that have no money and they still love money. Right? I mean, they're, they're more bound by money than people that have money. All they can th That's why they covet and steal and do all kinds of manner of evil because they're in love with money. But God says, no. Free yourself from that. Free yourself from that. So part of our freedom then is our ability to make choices, but sometimes we choose well, but then most times we choose poorly in our own flesh, right? We choose poorly. In our own strength, we're not able to do it. But by humbly admitting to God that we have need of him, guess what? We get this new authority and a new level of maturity to make good choices. And when I can confess my need of God, I'm empowered to make good choices. Danny Silk writes in his excellent book, Culture of Honor, and if you've never read it, please get the book and read it. I think we have copies in the church bookstore. And he said this, uh, he said, freedom causes our personal responsibility to rise to the surface. We either rise with it or lose our freedom. The only way to cultivate freedom is through experiencing and learning how to handle an increasing number of options. So in other words, when we're free in Christ, we actually have more options than we had when we were bound by sin. And maturity is about learning to walk in God's grace and to handle all of the options that God has put in front of us. And the only way to evaluate your own personal maturity is to humbly and honestly take stock of how well you're doing at handling your options. How well are you doing at handling your options? How well are you doing at pushing away after one serving? How well are you doing of not having, you know, three cookies but only having one? How well are you doing at, you know, after you watched one show, just shutting it off and turning the TV off for the night? How well are you doing at being able to, you know... Uh, have just one drink or no drink, if that's your temptation. How well are you doing at having not five cups of coffee, but only one? Oh, he didn't just talk about my coffee. Yes, he did. It's amazing how Christians will take one addiction and toss it out, pick up another one, right? 
yeah, I don't drink or smoke anymore, but I have about 40 cups of coffee a day. It keeps me going real good, Pastor. <laughs> you know, not a problem, though. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. You know, you got the jitters, your teeth are turned brown, and there's, you know, but, but it's not a problem. Not a problem. No, no. And your breath smells like stale Tim Hortons all day long. But it's not a problem. I read an article once where a guy was talking about all of the Christian addictions. <laughs> it was quite funny. And, uh, but coffee was right at the top of them, just so you know. And don't get me wrong. Again, I love coffee. And coffee was made for us. But we weren't made for coffee. Right? Coffee should not enslave us. Nothing should enslave us. I'll be mastered by nothing. The truth is, sin which has been repented of and put to death on the cross will eventually find its way back into your daily life if you don't live by God's grace. If you think it got put on that cross and nailed there and I, and I did it myself, you're in trouble. But if you can humbly admit that God took that from you and he laid it on Christ on the cross and you can humbly admit your need for his grace every day, you can walk in freedom. And when we live in a, an environment of liberty and freedom, then we're able to not be so judgmental of one another and to give one another the liberty to make the same choices and to have the amount of choices we have expose our level of maturity. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? All right. So let me explain that. So in a religious environment, if you came from a church background where, you know, you can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, and you get saved, but you have an addiction to alcohol, for example. We'll pick this one because it's a common one. You don't want to tell anybody that you struggle with alcohol. So you bury that thing. You hide it. You do your best to keep that away from people. And you know, and you say, that's it. I'm, I'm a Christian now, so I'm never going to drink. And so you apply all of your highest levels of discipline to never taking another drink. All right? What happens, though, is when you're in that religious environment, you know that if I was ever caught drinking, I'd be filled with shame and I'd fill with guilt and I'd feel like a, an outsider and a, and a castaway. So yeah, you have to hide it and you have to bury it. But the problem is, is that a sin that's simply just buried and has not been completely crucified, right, and is not underneath his grace has an incredible way of resurrecting, right? It has this incredible skill of coming back. So the first time you're in a stressful situation, maybe lose a job or, or you know, experience the loss of a loved one or something like that, that thing that you've tried to discipline your life to get rid of just comes right back, right back into your life. And there it is. And all of a sudden, you're living with guilt and shame, and you're, you're cut off from the people of God. But in a grace environment, it's different. In a grace environment, you know, grace churches often look very messy on the outside. They do. Pastor, did you know you got someone coming to your church and that that person is an alcoholic? Yep. Well aware of it. Oh. Did you know you have people that stand outside the church afterwards and they smoke? Yep. Well, aren't you upset about that? Nope. They're on a journey. We're all on a journey. And alcohol and smoking is just obvious. Your gossip may not be as, as obvious, but it's still probably there. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so, yeah, we, we know we got people that uh, have these things, but we're a grace house. That doesn't mean we're, we're, we're okay with them just hanging on to it all their life. No, no, no. But in a grace house, it becomes
becomes very obvious to everybody because there's no shame attached to it to recognize that there, there are things in their life that they need to get freed from. And they know that too. And you, a new person comes into the Lord and they, they go out with you after church a few times. And, and, and you know, the first couple times you go to a restaurant with them, you, you know that they have to be helped to the car by their friends. You know the person's got a drinking problem. But now you can sit down and say, listen, I'd like to help you with that. I'd like you to take a journey with Christ and let him help you with that. And they don't feel condemnation from you. They feel support from you. And what, that's one of the beautiful things about Celebrate Recovery. Everybody in there has got a problem. Just like everybody here this morning. Except in Celebrate Recovery, they all admit they have a problem. And they have the support of one another. And it's not an environment of condemnation. It's an environment of grace. And because they can, in God's grace, say, I have a problem. Everybody says, you know what? Let's get together. We can do this journey together, and God will help us with that. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? Amen? In the grace environment, like I said, things get messy. The church looks a little less sanitized because the sin rises to the surface much easier and more quickly. But the sin is then short-lived. Listen to this. Bill Johnson notes, he says, in a grace culture, uh, a a grace culture gives the sin that resides in people's hearts an opportunity to manifest. In other words, grace provides an opportunity for the truth to be revealed. And when the truth is revealed, the truth shall set you free. Right? But it takes humility to admit and to face the truth. And then the truth can set us free. In a grace culture, the person who has this destructive habit like alcohol, and they're, and they're taking a a journey in grace with that, now when the day of difficulty comes, they're not ashamed of the fact that they've struggled with alcohol all their life. No, when the day of struggle comes, that loss of a job or whatever, now they know the people in the church aren't there to condemn me, the people there to support me. They pick up the phone, they call their sponsor, they call their pastor, they call their friend, they get the support they need, and they don't fall back into the destructive behavior. Amen? Amen. That's how it works. That's how it works. Praise the Lord. The grace environment not only provides opportunity for sin to manifest, it also provides a place where forgiveness and restoration can be found. When the man or woman in the grace environment experiences that terrible, tragic day, they know that they've got a people who will stand with them and that therefore the temptation does not have to destroy them. The environment of grace provides opportunity for believers to be real. To be real. In a grace-based church, listen to this, and I'm going to read it because it's so important. In a grace-based church, the believer is not expected to be perfect, but honest. Did you hear that this morning? You're not expected to be perfect, but we want you to be honest. As they say in Celebrate Recovery, honest about all of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And in the environment of grace, our behaviors which used to weigh us down to the point of drowning are cut loose and we can rise to the surface free from their grasp. In the environment of grace, there's no shame about those weights and the sins which so easily beset us, but there's hope, hope that we can live free from their tyranny in Christ Jesus. Because in the grace environment, I can be real, then I'm not expected to be perfect. I can be honest and engage in the journey of being perfected. Right? I'm not expected to be perfect. And if you expect me to be perfect, boy, are you going to be disappointed. But you should expect me to be in the journey of being perfected. And I am in the journey of being perfected. Because of his grace in my life, my sin 
was quickly exposed, and because of his grace in the lives of others, my sin was not used against me. Can I say that again? Because of his grace in my life, my sin was quickly exposed, and because of his grace in the lives of everyone else, my sin was not used against me. That is such a powerful truth. That's a powerful truth. Instead, my sin was anticipated. It was expected. It was viewed as something common to everyone because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My temptations over which God wants to give me victory are not something of which I have to be ashamed either, but they're something that puts me in good company because in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul wrote, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. Everybody gets tempted. Everybody. Someone say everybody. Everybody gets tempted. But God has amazing grace for us. And the sins of our past no longer have to have a hold over us. Over us. And the temptations of the past don't have to be the temptations of the present. There'll be new stuff for tomorrow. And you can take that to Jesus. So one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery is I tell people it's all about two things. It's about process and progress. And the confession of Celebrate Recovery is, I'm a grateful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the person says, who, has, who celebrates victory over, but who is working on this. Victory over A, but now working on B. Or victory over X, but now working on, you know, Y. And one day when I stand before Jesus, I'll complete the alphabet. Hallelujah. Amen? That's what it's all about, people. So, you might be sitting here this morning. Okay, pastor, that sounds good. I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good. So, how do I break that cycle this morning? How do I break it? Well, I'm going to tell you. All right? I'm going to tell you this morning how. Finding freedom is not, everybody say not. It is not the result of hard work. It's not the result of extreme discipline. I used to think it was. I just need more discipline. But it's the result of grace, access through faith, and experienced in humility. It doesn't mean there isn't work along the way. But it's not the byproduct of work. It's the byproduct of grace. Let me say it to you again. Finding freedom is not difficult. It's not the result of hard work or extreme discipline, but of grace, access through faith, and experienced in humility. Access through faith and experienced in humility. For the man or woman struggling to find freedom in the environment of religion, listen, this is, what it's, what the, this is the cycle, all right? You can write this down. For a person in a religious environment, here's the cycle. Sin, followed by shame, right? Followed by repentance, followed by a vow and a determination never to fail again, followed by sin. It doesn't work. Shame, that it can lead you to repentance, but it's not the best thing to lead us to repentance. And I'll change that in a minute let you know. And when you repent just because of shame, then you end up in the world of vows. And guess what? They're hard to keep. And then you end up failing again. So sin, 
followed by shame, followed by repentance, and then a vow never to fail again, followed by sin, because that's exactly where it ends up. Now, let me show you the grace cycle, and then I'll close. If we've been set by free, free by grace, then the cycle has an end, and here's what it looks like. Sin, instead of followed by shame, followed by humility, which leads us to repentance. When we repent because of humility, it's not the same as repenting because of shame. So sin followed by humility, which leads me to repentance, which leads me to forgiveness and the power to never fail again. End of cycle. Do you see the difference? One repeats, the other leads to freedom. The other leads to freedom. And all of it is lived in the safety of relationship. The first cycle is lived in secret. The second is lived in the safety of relationship. Amen? So if you're here this morning and you got some kind of a hurt habit or hang up that's been destroying your life, it's been robbing you of, of peace, it's been robbing you of freedom, maybe it's even more overt, maybe it's impacting your, your marriage or your relationship with your children or your relationship with your parents or your coworkers. It doesn't matter what that thing is. Listen to me this morning. Take it before the Lord. Now, you might be saying, oh, so you're you're back to just talking about sin now. No, 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 no. I'm talking about anything that has become a sin because it's taken over control of your life. Right? Paul said, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Something that has been given mastery over your life also needs to be taken before the Lord. And when you take it before the Lord, not because of shame, but because of humility, and you humbly bring it before the Lord and repent, God will give you his forgiveness. And then as you stay in that place of humility, God will give you the power to not fall into that sin again. And if you do, guess what you do? You humbly admit it to those around you, and you get right back on where you left off and let God be the one who sets you free. Amen? Stand together with me this morning. I know this is a little longer than normal, but the carpet's so comfortable. I just, you know, it, it's, it's just hard, you know, to, you know, Barry knows what I'm talking about. It's just so soft. It's like walking on a cloud up here. It's like I'm already preaching from heaven. It's amazing. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, but you know, this is a, this is a, a longer message, but you have to, you have to wrap it all one package. Can't break it into two parts. You gotta, you gotta give the truth and the hope in the same message. Amen. Father, I just thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you, Lord, that the the cycle can be broken when it's humility that leads me to repentance rather than shame. And Father, I thank you that, God, when I come into your presence, Father, and I stand there forgiven, humbly admitting that my need of you, that, God, you then in turn give me the power to walk as the person you've called me to be. Father, I thank you that, Lord, that you don't want me to get rid of sin so that you can love me. You already love me so I can get rid of sin. And Father, when I come to this understanding and this revelation, then Lord, I am truly set free to be everything that you have called me and purposed me to be. And Father, I just thank you today. Lord, I would pray that whether watching online or whether here in person today, that Lord, we would take all of those things in our life, which maybe they're not even a sin issue. Maybe it's just something that has a grip over our life that Father, is, is in a place where even though it's permissible, it's no longer beneficial. 
and that, Lord, it has mastery over our life, and we're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus today. And, Father, today, as we humble ourselves in your mighty presence, you give us more grace so that we can walk in freedom today. And, Father, uh, it is for freedom that you set me free. You want me to walk in liberty. And so, Lord, today I commit to you my heart. I humble, humbly submit it to you because I want to be free. In Jesus' name, amen.